Welcome to our final series, final, um, or part two, actually, there's one more. Part two in our message series we're calling Family Blank Church. And we're trying to fill in the blanks kind of as we go and talk about. Last week we talked about family and church. And, and I really feel like that it was an important message because we begin to understand that God created and ordained both, right? The family and the church. He did create the family and bless the family and, 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 and gave charge to the family and then also later ordained the church and said, this is, the, this is the way I'm going to work in this world at this particular time and place. And so both are important. Now we summed up with a kind of a summary that I felt like was a pretty good way to summarize what we talked about last week. Our big takeaway from last week was that the family should not, re, or the church should not replace the family, but equip the family, right? Really important, the church not replace the family, but equip the family. The reason I feel like that's so important is because sometimes we want to turn over the development of our children to different folks and we want to abdicate some responsibility we may turn them over to the school system and say hey you they're, they're going to teach my children reading writing arithmetic problem with that is family can't abdicate that responsibility it's important for us to be a part for parents to be a part grandparents to be a part as well as the excellent educators and administrators we have and then sometimes we want to pass along spiritual things to our kids right and we want to say I'm going to take them to church and let the church handle the spiritual end all right teachers will do the intellectual end, educational side church do the spiritual side but guess what that's not right either we can't abdicate that responsibility as a matter of fact we saw last week that God assigned that responsibility to the parents. That is that the home was designed to be the, the environment that would produce spiritual growth and development in the children. We can't pass that along. Listen, the training and development of your children spiritually is too important to pass along to someone else. And so we saw this idea of church and family. Now, as we thought about it, we thought if we're not careful, if you hear the message and you hear the thought of the church not replacing the family but equipping the family, you can almost think, well, they're not very high on church. Well, that's not it at all. The church does have an important role in the spiritual life and development of our children. Or at least it did in mine. I remember when my children were growing up, I was thankful that I had a church who would sometimes speak into my kid's life as a second voice. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a point in time... <laughs> Well, it happened to me anyway. I'm assuming it's going to happen to some of you. There was a time when I became really dumb. I didn't know anything. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know any, as far as my um, children were concerned. Well, fortunately, that does change when they get a little bit older, so I'm going to give you some, a little bit of hope on that. But the point is, I was glad to have people speaking into my kid's life a voice that was saying similar things to me. However, primarily... It's my responsibility, right? It's something that is too important to assume otherwise. So this morning, we're going to talk about the second end of that. Last week, we talked about the family being the environment for spiritual growth and development. And now this week, I want to talk a little bit about the church's responsibility to equip the family for that spiritual growth and development. I want to talk a little bit about the church's end of that, the church side 
of that. If you didn't get last week, I encourage you to listen to last week's talk because I think these two go together. As a matter of fact, I really think all three of these messages, probably if we had a lot of time to sit down together, should be just one message. But we're having to divide it over three different periods of time. I don't think it's fair to talk about this week completely without understanding a little bit of what we said last week. Okay, but let's talk about this. Here's the thing I want to stress this morning and help us to understand. And that is, big idea, when the church and family compete, we lose. When the church, is that up there on the Hyperscot slide? When church and family, when family and church compete, we lose. There should not be a competition. But let's face it. If you've got family and you've got a church, there's sometimes a tension that's created. Right? So really the bottom line, today's fill in the blank, is not church and family, but it's family or church. Why do we have to decide? Do we have to decide? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you guys today. As a matter of fact, frankly, I'm not sure. As I was writing all this stuff out, I'm not sure that this message isn't really for me. Okay? I mean, this is something that I deal with and I have dealt with all through my life. So this message is just for me. And if you want to, you can kind of listen in on what I'm saying to me. All right? Because there has always been a certain tension of family or church. Why is that? It's because, frankly, we all have full busy schedules, right? I mean, it's amazing how busy we are today, especially in a day and an age when we have all this technology, all these inventions, all of this stuff to make life easier, faster, better, and save us time. And yet, we may have a little fewer free time now than ever before. It's amazing how busy families are. We, stra we, we stress, we, we struggle just to find time for the little things in life. But the truth is, time flows to what we value the most. Use of time tends to flow to what we value the most. One of my pet peeves is, uh, you know, when somebody says to me, well, you know, you can do that, but I don't have time for that. That's just not true. You know, you think about how busy the president is, and he doesn't have any more hours or minutes in the day than we do, right? You think about the busiest person you know, they don't have any more minutes or hours than you do. But what happens is, what we're really saying is, I don't value that enough to use my time there. I, have, I love to play golf, right? I love to play golf. I used to play golf regularly, consistently. Buddy, on, on, on Saturday morning, I'm out there playing golf. I love golf. And then I told somebody just not too long ago, I said, I don't have time for golf anymore. I have the same amount of time. But what? It's not value enough. It's not of high enough value to use that time in that way. So let's be careful and understand that we're all busy so how do we balance time between these two incredibly important places? Family and church. Is it family time? Is it church time? Or could it be that these two things are not mutually exclusive? but can become one in each other. Now, let me show you what I mean. I'm going to go back to last week's uh, passage where we saw in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, an incredible thing happened. Here's what, let me set it up for you. 
The children of Israel are getting ready to enter into the promised land. They were going to become a nation. God had promised to Abraham years ago that they would be a nation, a people. And they had waited patiently, well, maybe not so patiently, for 400 years in captivity in Egypt. And they were often crying out, God, what happened to that nation you promised us? We're just a bunch of slaves in Egypt. And then one day, God brought them out of Egypt under the leadership of a man named Moses. And now they're about to enter into the promised land. Finally to become a nation and Moses said to the people now if you're gonna be a nation There has to be some codes. There has to be some codes of conduct There has to be some laws that you abide by how many know that if you're gonna be a nation there has to be Laws to abide by now. I'm, I don't want to go too far on that But I'm just saying we can't be totally anti-law anti-authority. We need codes of conduct, right? If we're gonna dwell among people so he says, here's what you need to know. And so he gave them, for example, the Ten Commandments that we know about. He said, you're going to have to follow these things if you're going to exist as a nation. And then he added more things to that and said, you're going to have to follow these if you're going to exist as a nation. And then he said, now there's awesome things you need to know about your family life. Now, this is incredible. And here's where we pick up. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want you to see again what we looked at. We looked at verse number 6. And seven. Let me just read from there. I didn't mark mine. It says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. In other words, what I'm telling you today is important. This is heart stuff. This is not just information that will be convenient for you to know. These are the things that can transform your heart. And he says, these are the words I'm giving you. Here it is. Verse seven. Watch this. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And we took care to notice who is that assignment given to. He says to the people of Israel, your children will need instruction, your children will need guidance, your children will need discipleship, and guess who has that responsibility? You, the family, parents, you. Why are the parents, why is parents' parental involvement so important? Because the parents are there all the time, right? The, uh, the, the parents have, the, have your attention. 24-7. Well, maybe not 24-7 as they get older, but you get the point with them all the time. He says, here's the way to train your children. Here's the way to develop them spiritually. Live out your faith. Don't just talk about it. It's easy to talk about, but if you talk about it, your children may not catch it. If you just talk about it, guess what? Somebody else is going to talk about something different. No, live it out. When you walk around, when you sit in your house, you walk along the road. What's the point? The point is, in everyday life, live it out. I'm so grateful I had parents who did that. I'm so grateful for my parents. And I know everybody has that advantage. I did happen to have the advantage of having parents who not only taught me faith, and by the way, took me to church, sometimes kicking and screaming. All right, y'all okay with that? Until I became a teenager. When I became a teenager, Jake, I didn't kick and scream anymore. You know why? Not because I became instantly spiritual, but because Beth started going to my church. Hey, yeah, let's do church. I'll be glad to go to church. I want to see that girl with the long brown hair and the big brown eyes. Yeah, let's do church. But the thing about my parents that I appreciate now is that they lived it out in front of me. They didn't just talk about faith. They showed me faith. And even now, my very elderly parents... To see their trust in God inspires me. And I'm like, when I look at them, I'm thinking, man, 
They really believe what they taught me all those years. So it's important that when we go, we walk, we talk, and as we walk along, we teach our children day in and day out. And what a great time to talk to these seniors. Because here's the thing, guys. I know, I know to some degree, you, you've had some training. People have talked to you about faith, whether it's your family. I don't know each of your situations. It could be family, it could be friends. CO2, Marty and Marsha have loved you guys and, and poured into you guys and, and, and your church has loved you guys and poured into you guys. And, 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 and what he's saying is it's important to think about that and to remember that. But now he goes on. As you read on down, look what he says in the 10th verse. I want to take it a little further because he gives us a warning. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill with children, uh, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Can I just stop there a minute? Yeah, I got to confess, when I read that, I know that that's written for ancient Israel years ago, but it sounds to me like the United States of America today. Would you agree? Think with me just a minute. He's saying, when you come into this land that's flowing with milk and honey, you're going to inherit cities that you didn't build. They've already been built. You're going to inherit wells that you don't even have to dig. They're already dug for you. All you're going to do is go up to it when you're thirsty and draw water out. You're going to live in houses that have already been built for you. You're going to enjoy land. And what he's saying is, you're people of great privilege. Can I just say something that I say many times, and you probably get tired of it, but it's just so much of my heart I can't help it. In America today, we are quite privileged. I'm not even sure if we realize how privileged we are. We're very prosperous and rich. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, well, Pastor Eddie, you might be, but I'm not. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm telling you, you're rich. Maybe not, next, maybe not compared to the person that lives next to you. Maybe the person next to you has a house three times as big as yours. I get that. Maybe the person sitting next to you has a job that pays them four times what you get paid. And you're like, I'm not rich. They're rich. Oh, no, no, no. This whole comparison thing depends on who you're comparing with, right? Let me take you to a third world country with me. And let you look around and look at people whose big deal is the next meal, not where we're going to spend the weekend. Now, they're not upset because they don't have enough to go to Disney World this weekend. They're upset because their child has no food to eat. No, 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 we're very, very blessed. I remember back when we were really, when we had the, the, the really serious economic um, decline. I don't remember the year it was now. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. And I remember thinking uh, about it and, and, and considering, I thought, man, we are really in bad shape economically. It's, it's really tough. And, and then I, I got a call from one of my pastor friends in Kenya. And uh, he called me. He said, Pastor Eddie, he said, how are you today? And I said, wonderful. I said, how are you? He said, oh, we're great. He said, there's famine in the land right now. I said, yeah, I've heard about that. Are you, how are you doing? He said, oh, we're, we're good. We're blessed. And I told him, he said, How's, how are you? And I said, well, we're, we're in this kind of financial strain right now. And I'm thinking, you know, people are selling their boats. People are selling their extra homes. And people are, are, are trading down their cars. And this is tough. You know, we, we're having to cut back on weekend trips. This, the economy's not good. And then he said something that changed my life in that moment. He said, yes, it's tough here too, Pastor Eddie. Sometimes we only get one meal a day instead of two. 
Wow, we're rich. So Moses says, understand that when you get rich, you need to understand the blessing and where that blessing came from. So now read on. Look what he said. He said, be careful. Be careful. Verse 12, be careful. What do we be careful of? Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Here was his warning. He said, be careful because if you're not very careful, what will happen is in your abundance, you will forget the God who blessed you. Again, I think about the U.S. Boy, it's tough. No wonder Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for the cam uh, camel to pass through an eye of a needle. No wonder James said, have you ever wondered why James wrote in his little book, blessed are you if you have trial and difficulties in your life. And if you're like me, you're like, what, James? What world are you living in? Why would we rejoice in trials and difficulties? Because James knew the more abundance we enjoy, the more tendency we have to forget our God. And the more we're blessed, the more tendency we to forget. We need to be humbled regularly and remember, God, thank you for this land. Listen, it's not bad to have enjoy the plenty that we enjoy today. I'm not saying that. It's not bad to have the things that God's blessed us with. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, thank God, the one who has given us such rich blessings. Because otherwise, we can forget. We can walk away. So he says in verse 13, here's his thing. He says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord your God. Worship him. Take your oaths in his name. In other words, remember God and continue to serve him. Continue to worship him. For, he says, watch this, or verse 14, do not, hold on, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Whoa, that's pretty straightforward. What's he saying? And why would I read that on a day like today? I want to tell you why. I think it fits right into our teaching on family. Now, I'm going to say something. Before I say something, I want to remind you that the Bible commands you to love me, right? <laughs> so you're going to have to love me even when you don't like what I'm about to say. And I know, that, I know you're not going to like what I'm about to say because I don't like what I'm about to say, but I believe it's the truth. Now listen to me carefully. Moses says be careful because if you're not careful, when you have this plenty, when you have this abundance, you tend to forget God and put the abundance ahead of him. You tend to forget to serve, worship, and fear God. And you begin to worship the things that you've been blessed with. Now, here's what you may not like. It might be today that the most untouchable idol that we have is our family. There, I said it. Now, let me explain, lest you go out of here and you're going to have a roast preacher for lunch today. Maybe you will, but listen to me carefully. So many times, we get the family, we allow the family that God blessed us with to become an idol and become more important than him. Now, let me go to the other hand. Sometime, if we're not careful, we let the church that God blessed us with become an idol as well. Sometimes, I know people who serve church more than they serve the Lord Jesus. Come on, amen? 
Now, frankly, on the flip side, I know people who worship and serve their family even above the Lord God. May I just remind you that God has said what's first and foremost. He started this whole conversation. The first part of Genesis, I didn't read that, but the first part of Genesis, he started off with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even Jesus quoted that, remember? And then he said, then, the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not suggesting we don't love our family. Of course we love our family. I'm not suggesting we don't love our church. Of course we love our church. But first and foremost, we love our Lord, our God. And we don't allow abundance to get in the way so we begin to worship. Now, why am I saying that? I think it's a perfect line to say that because of these guys right here on the front row. I just want to take a moment to remind you guys that you're going to move forward into a whole new journey. Your life is changing, right? In just a week, a couple of weeks, your, your life is forever changing. I, I, this is some of the best years of your life. I know you don't believe that, but it really has been. And now a season's about to change. And as you go from here, I want to encourage you. I believe God's going to bless your life. But I'm praying that as you go from here, you don't forget that. That you remember the faith that's been instilled by your family or your friends. By people like Marty and Marcia who have loved you and invested in you. I hope you not forget that. And by the way, it's the same with us, right? Adults, you're the same way. I'm praying that God would so infiltrate your lives that he becomes first and foremost in your life. And everything else falls along. I remember one of the struggles. I said this is for me because I remember one of the struggles with and or church or family, family or church. One of the big struggles was this. I remember in my own life, uh, I hate to be this transparent to you because but it's just the way it is. Hey, you already got a preacher and, you know, sneakers up here, so I've already blown any image you have. I remember the struggle. But in my heart, I wanted to teach my children to love Jesus more than teach them to be a good church member. You see, the tendency, I'm just being honest, the tendency as a pastor was to teach them to be a good church member. Right, Marty? I mean, that's just the way we're shaped. But I knew. The thing I needed to teach them more was to love Jesus because there's going to be a time they may not be in church. There's going to, there's going to be a time that they'll be hurt in church. Anybody ever been hurt in church? Don't raise your hands, please. I can just tell you this. If I'd have left every time I've been hurt in church, I'd have retired 40 years ago. <laughs> it's just part of it, right? Why? Because people disappoint us. People can't live up. You say, I didn't want my, people, my children to, to look for the church, for spiritual heroes. I wanted them to look to Jesus and love Jesus and then look at Dad and Mom and be able to say one day, man, they really believe that. They, they really believe what they say they believe because they act it out every day, live it out every day of their life. And so it's important that we understand what is the most important, loving Jesus. And that creates the tension. Jesus, or, or, or family, I should say, or church. And then you throw in the fact that, oh man, all the stuff that comes in between. Did you know Jesus knew we'd struggle with this? He knew we would struggle with it. And the reason I know that is because he was speaking to his disciples one day, 
and he said something that may be shocking to you. All right, you ready? Just hang on. In the book of Matthew chapter 14, here's what we read. Matthew, there it is. Verse 25 says, Now great crowds were traveling with him. Great crowd. How big were the crowds? The crowds were so big that on one occasion there was 5,000 just men, most believe. 5,000 men plus women and children. You remember the feeding of the 5,000? That's how big. Great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? <laughs> what just happened there? What in the world is that? Does that? Did that ever bother you at any point in your life? Or does it bother you right now? I mean, frankly, it's bothered me. What, what is Jesus saying there? Now, hang on with me. Don't misread it. Here's what's happening. Jesus is intentionally thinning the crowd. Why would he do that? Because he knows that a large portion of his crowd is A, has no concern for spiritual things. B, is only there to watch a show. They've heard that he heals people. They've heard that he feeds the, the people. And I'm hungry. I don't want to just go get some food. And he's starting to thin the crowds. And he's separating those who are mere believers from those who are what he calls disciples. A disciple is someone who learns from and a, a mentor, right? Someone who watches, who learns, and then does. And he says, here's the thing. I want you to understand that at some point, we, 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 we funnel down believers into disciples. And not everyone who would believe is a disciple. What's the difference? Well, a believer, he says, is, is someone who comes to, watch this, who comes to the cross and trusts Christ. And he says a disciple is one who carries this cross and follows Christ. There's a difference. Now, maybe you're just blown away with that, but think about it. It's one thing if we believe and we come to the cross... And by coming to the cross, I mean we see the work of Christ on the cross, the finished work of Christ, the finished work of redemption, and we believe that Jesus did indeed die for my sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture, so that what? He might give me eternal life. I, can, I believe that, and, and when I believe that, I do become a believer in Christ. And sometimes we call ourselves believers, right? And he says that sometimes... It narrows down into a disciple. And a disciple carries his cross and follows Christ. And what he says is, that ain't going to be easy, fellas. Not going to be easy. We're about to go to Jerusalem. When we go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be found guilty. I'm going to die a Roman crucifixion. But don't worry. Three days later, I'm rising from the dead. Those were tough days for the disciples. We're told that they were hiding for fear that the same thing would happen to them. He says, these are tough. It is not easy following Christ. And then he does it. He makes a comparison, if you will. He's making a comparison. He says, in fact, your love for me, if you're going to be a disciple to follow me, it's going to take a deep and profound love for me. Even so, that a comparison, it is greater than a love for your family. Please don't mishear him. He's not suggesting we don't love our family, that we hate in the sense of we think of hate our family. He would, no, because we know in other places, he said, honor your father and mother. Your days may be long in the land. 
We know that over and over again we love. We know that Jesus took care of his mother even from the cross. That's not what he's suggesting, but what he's saying is there is a deeper, deeper walk here that we're talking about that I am so in love with Jesus and that becomes first and foremost in my life and there are no other gods before him, not even my church, not even my family, but he is first. And then these entities, these pieces of the puzzle that he has given us can come together and build us to that place, the family and the church, the family and the church. We have a strategy for our families we call orange. Orange comes from the fact that if you take red paint and yellow paint or whatever color, dye, whatever, if you take red and yellow and those two combine together, what do you have? Orange. So we have a strategy we call orange. And what's it about? It's typically about the home and the church coming together not in competition, but working together for the spiritual growth and development of families. Man, that's it. That's where we lie today. How do we find that way where church and family can come together? See, family is given the first responsibility, but guess what? The church is given responsibility. And I want you to know this pastor, being far from perfect, is well aware that I have, we have responsibility for families and to work to come alongside families to equip not to be the primary environment but to equip so there are certain things that are important church is important family is important but can I just say this and this is one of those moments every now and then I have a moment where I would love to be able to take off the pastor hat see I've learned to do that with my family I can do that I kind of have to every now and then take off my pastor hat at home and put on my daddy hat or granddaddy hat or husband hat yeah, I mean, I'm, it's kind of hard, and sometimes Beth has to remind me that I need to put the other one on, right? Sometimes she has to say, uh, take off the preacher hat, put on the, the, the husband hat. We need to have a conversation. <laughs> I wish I could do that with you guys somewhat. I wish I could just take off my pastor cap and put it on the side somewhere, because what I'm going to say is going to sound like so pastorly, and you're going to say, well, of course you say that. You're the pastor, you're the preacher. No, 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 listen to me. I say this because I'm a man that has had the privilege to living out and seeing what I'm about to tell you. And that is this. The church can be a blessing to your family. I know we're not perfect. Neither is the church down the road, the church down the street. I'm not talking about the orchard. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about a local church. Wherever your church, I know we have guests with us today. Your local church can be a blessing to you. It's meant to be a blessing to you. It's meant to be a blessing to help you, to equip you, to walk with you, to blend with you, to be a second voice for you, with you. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to know that church is important. And that if you don't have a church family, that you find a church family. Can I just talk to you guys for just a moment? Just because I love you. I'm honest as I don't know how to be right now. Well, I would encourage you strongly when you leave here, because I'm assuming you're going to be leaving. College is calling. And some of you, I heard your, res I heard your dreams, and I know that's going to take you to other places than, than Live Oak, Florida. Can I encourage you, find you a church family. Find a church. 
you're, you're not going to find CO2, right? I mean, CO2 is CO2, and it's been a unique experience. And, you know, you, um, you, 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 you there, you enjoy it. But if you're searching for another CO2, you're probably not going to find it. There is only one Marty Tedder in the world. Amen? I say that lovingly, brother. <laughs> but there is a strong church out there somewhere, right? Find you a church because it can be a blessing in your life. And I know what you're saying. You're, some of you are thinking, well, I don't know. I don't get anything out of church. I know you said that. I've said that before, frankly. I think I've said that even since I've been here. The preacher in Live Oak, I don't know about him, but I don't get anything out of church. Or church doesn't do anything for me. Can I just say something? I'm just, here again, this is, this is taking my pastor hat off, putting my husband, daddy, granddaddy hat on, typical man hat on. Here's what I'm going to say to you. I guess I just have a totally different perspective of church, and, and I don't know if that's because I'm a pastor. I hope not. I hope it's just because of what I've learned about Scripture. But here's, what I, here's my perspective on church. I don't come to get something from church. I come to give something to my church family. Uh, really, I, I don't come to get something from it, although I do. Man, when you hug my neck and say, hey, pastor, thanks for being here, I love that. I get so, I'm, I, I'm thrilled by that, frankly. When these guys get up here and play these instruments and sing, I get something from that. I'm enjoying it. I'm having a time of worship like I can't have in my car, frankly. So I, I, it's a blessing to me, but I don't come to be blessed. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to serve you. However that might be. If that means sweeping the floor, Carol, I'm going to sweep the floor, and I know you will too. If, if that means, you know, running sound, I'll run sound. It just so happens that God has placed me here, but being here is no more important than anybody else who's serving you wherever. This is just my lot. I've come to serve. I want to serve. So I, I'm not really interested in what I get from it. I want to serve. I want to, be, I want to serve students like you guys. I want to serve you. That doesn't mean I can be at CO2 every week, but I can sure make sure that Marty has what he needs or Marsha, whatever. Because here's the thing I believe, the takeaway, and, and I'm going to wind it down here. I know I'm running a little bit late. What I want you to see is that when church and family compete, we lose. But when church and family come together, we win. We do. If we can learn to balance the tension, just create a rhythm so that it's not church or family, but it's church and family working together, we win. Or at least it's been my experience for 43 years with my family. And I'm grateful for it. So if you'll give me two minutes, I want to run down a list of a few bullets and try to make it practical. How can you make church and family come together let me just give you a couple of thoughts. I'll run through them quickly. First of all, chart your time. How are you spending your time? You may be shocked how little of your time is going to your family, how little of your time is going to your church. We get so busy and wrapped up with everything else in life that if we're not careful, we don't realize what a small portion is going to our family. Chart your time. Secondly, don't be afraid to seek advice. Don't be afraid to ask somebody, how did you do it? How did you balance it? How did you, how did you create a rhythm? Where it didn't compete. The two didn't compete. Third, schedule family time and church time. What? Schedule family time? Absolutely. 
I schedule family time. My calendar is kind of full. So you know what I do? I schedule family time. I block out family time on my calendar. And here's how I know it's family time. I got Google Calendar, so I just put it in orange. And a reminder, oh, this is family time. I'm going to schedule family time because I want to make sure I have family time. Beth and I, for years, for years, Friday night in our life was date night. Now, that sounds pretty easy. It was not easy to keep. But we guarded date night. Every, now, for, now, don't get me wrong. At our age, date night might mean just sitting at home quietly rocking on the front porch, you know. But we schedule the time. Schedule church time. That's important. It means just go into the schedule just like everything else. Four, serve Jesus together as a family. Find ways to serve together as a family. What a blessing. Pray together. Don't be afraid to let your children, your grandchildren hear you pray. And pray about things that matter. Not just now I lay me down to sleep, but pray for Aunt Susie who's sick. Pray for the hard day we're having tomorrow. Don't be afraid of that. And finally, read the Bible as a family. Read the Bible together as a family. It'll, I'm telling you, this book, I'm not sure I can give you a, a, a rational explanation, but I'm just telling you a word of testimony. This book will change your family. And if you'll walk it, give it time, it'll happen. Well, I don't even understand. Well, get you a kid's version of the Bible, right? Get you a simple version that you can read. I don't care. You'll, well, I'll be embarrassed. Who cares? Right? Spend some time. Well, I don't ever remember. I can't, I won't even remember it. Well, can I just tell you something? I don't remember what I had for lunch last Wednesday, but I know whatever I had nourished my body. Well, I guess I'm about done. And I always tell our young guys, when you're done, just quit. So, I'll quit. But thank you for letting me share a few of my thoughts on church and family. It doesn't have to be or. Both can work together. And when they do, we win. Thank you guys for letting me have the privilege to address you in just a few minutes. I know that you have a lot of people in your life probably giving you a whole lot of advice. And I'm not sure you need one more person. But thank you for allowing me. And thank you for what you've done for me and how I've been able to watch you guys grow and develop and had some pretty cool times together. Right? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. And thank you, Lord, for all that you do in and through us. Thank you, Lord, for these young people on this front row. I thank you for each one of them, Lord. Some of them I know better than others. But all of them I've watched and observed you work in their lives. And as they sit here this morning, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. And I pray for each one, God. They're about to move into a new whole season of life. And I thank you that they don't have to fear that. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things in the world out there that right now intimidate them a little bit. But I know that as children of God, we do not have to bow to fear. We can be bold and courageous, confident and assured. So God, would you work in their lives? Thank you for their families and friends that are here to support them. And I think at least in some part to say, yes, church and family 
are important and to help them create a rhythm that will balance those two in a healthy, proper way such that you are first and foremost in their lives. We love you and we honor you today. Amen and amen.